0: Navigating the dynamics of the Korean Peninsula requires more than just information. It demands insight. Korea Risk Group offers strategic consulting that cuts through the noise. Our experts provide in-depth analysis, risk assessments, and bespoke reports, all tailored to your specific needs. Whether you're exploring new opportunities or managing existing challenges, our insights can be your compass. To learn more about how we can help you make informed, strategic decisions, Visit careerrisk.com slash solutions today. Podcast listeners and welcome to the NK News podcast. And today it is Tuesday, the twentieth of February, twenty twenty-four. And I'm joined here in the studio by my guest and fellow podcast host, Yes, Jongmin Kim. Welcome.
1: Good to be here.
0: I've been listening to your Friday launches, uh, your Friday releases of the Career Pro podcast. It really enjoying your work. You and John are a, a fine team.
1: I'm glad to hear. We try to banter a lot in that one. It
0: is—it's good banter, and I really—it uh, was very useful. I had to listen twice recently to the the rundown of the M M M P and the mixed mu- the M M A. Oh, and, and that was the difficult.
1: The election system in South Korea, which is very complicated.
0: Right. Yeah. With the elections coming up just a couple of months away, if our listeners aren't sure yet, go back and listen to—I don't know what number episode it is—but it's a recent episode. Last week's one. Last, Pride, last, last week. week the week before last. Okay. So those podcasts are a little bit shorter than <laughs> than mine. <laughs> I tend to be a bit longer winded. It's only it, it, it's a lot of detail in a quarter of an hour. Very, very comprehensive. So keep it going there.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the shout out. All
0: right. Now we've got three things to talk about today. Jongmin, you are the Kim Yo Jong Whisperer.
1: Yes, sir. It's my official nickname in in this company.
0: That's wonderful. Who gave it to you?
1: I think it was Arius and Colin
0: ah. because
1: there were this time, I think, a year ago when Kim Yo-jong started punching out statements day in and day out. And her Korean version cannot be translated enough into the Korean uh, KCNA English version. Right. So what I did was I, I wrote stories based on my take on her Korean tones, which uh-huh. is very, very sassy and passive aggressive.
0: Right. Yeah, she does passive aggressive quite well. So she made a statement uh, last week. Which, very interesting about where this was reported, but we'll come back to that later on. So she's talking about a possible engagement between North Korea and Japan. Mm. Tell us more.
1: Well, Kim Yo-jong in the past few years, she started off with writing a lot of statements in Korea, first of all. But then she sort of moved into the U.S. relations jurisdiction and now Japan as well. Maybe she is international, badly worded um, statement sort of master there. Right, because officially
0: what's her title or her role?
1: No one knows, ah. uh, officially. But, okay. but people think that maybe she is OGD or PAD, though organizational or the uh, propaganda department. Okay. But her real position is Kim Jong-un's sister.
0: Right, okay. <laughs> which is a, yeah, a role of its own. Right,
1: and the Japan statement, basically the gist was it came a few weeks after Fumio Kishida, the prime minister of Japan, in the cabinet speech, mm-hmm. said that he is willing to pursue summit with Kim Jong-un um, in order to bring back the Japanese abductees in North Korea. And Kim Jong Jong was saying... Well, I commend your you know, passion in trying to engage with us, and why not? Uh, unless, uh, why not if you fix ABC? And those ABCs right. were very tall order.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Now, this letter that she wrote, this statement, was not in the Rodong Shinmon, was it? Where was it published?
1: It was just KCNA, per usual, with some of the statements that might seem a bit awkward from the domestic reader's point of view.
0: Right. So it's really just for external consumption,
1: right? And usually, when it's not in Rodong and just KCNA, we tend to read it as not a set policy statement, but just like a, a trial ballooning sort of thing. And right. also, she included a lot of personal caveat, like this is my own personal view. My brother, the mm-hmm. leadership, has no idea about what's going on here, and <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, it. like this he thing. doesn't. He's not. He's the, her point was, he's just not that interested in you, right? But, but I might be. I'm, uh, That's why I'm writing, mm, as personal capacity.
0: Very, very interesting. Okay. Now, How close would you say we are now to the prospect of the very, very first North Korean-Japan summit in more than 20 years?
1: I would say almost not at all, because the conditions that Kim Yo-jong brought up were age-old stuff, like uh, don't mess with our nuclear and missile def- development. Oh, f- sure. Okay. <laughs> and then um, she was repeating the stance that the abduct- abductee issue has been already settled there's no way Japan will go along with that despite no. Kishida's really really low almost 16 to 25% approval, approval rate, rate. Yeah. he cannot go along with that because the main point of him mentioning this is for the abductee angle
0: right right and, and that that's been the way uh, the the line of Japanese policy for a long time mm-hmm. now if such a summit did go ahead i imagine that for north korea one of the main pluses would be to potentially drive a wedge between Japan and South Korea or Japan and the United States Mm. or or all three?
1: So the experts I've talked to uh, unanimously said that rather than the sincere intention to engage with Japan and maybe pursue a summit, the Mm -hmm. core intention might be just very uh, just North Korea playbook 101 which is driving the wedge uh, between the three like you mentioned because last year the trilateral relations developed a lot including yep. the Camp David summit and all right. the drills and blah 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 blah
0: and summit diplomacy etc but Japan's no I mean uh, Kishida despite his low approval ratings he's no fool I mm. mean uh, this is not Anyone's first rodeo. We've mm. all been here before. We've mm. all seen this movie before. So surely no one is going into this with uh, with blinkered eyes,
1: right? Probably. Pr- it's not probably. It's probably not going to happen. But I think North Korea may just sort of take turns and seeing who's a weak link b- between the two, and usually yep. not the U.S. So it's so they sort of alternate between right. maybe South Korea and Japan. Usually South Korea, yeah. especially during the previous administration. The moon years, yeah, right. But but now maybe they're like mm, maybe let's why not try out. Right, which, which
0: I, I kind of <laughs> had that feeling a little bit when they first sent that message of condolences to the uh, people who died in New the, Year's uh, the, Day the earthquake. earthquake. Right, and uh, that was unusual for North Korea to say, hey, uh, really sorry about the tragedy in your country. Forgive me, but it felt a little bit cynical. It,
1: it was quite, it was interesting, but I was actually asked about this multiple times if, if it's an intention to in improve relations. At the time, I said no, because mm-hmm. it looked like the main intention was to show... North Korea as a responsible, normal state, sort of. I think that was a priority. Ah. But maybe just partially Mm -hmm. trying to signal that, you know, you're our next target of trying to improve relations and see where we go.
0: Let's, Let's keep an eye on that. I'm fascinated. Now, let's talk about. So the Seoul government has decided that it'll be taking DNA samples from the corpses of deceased North Koreans who sometimes wash up on the shores of, or across the river from, or somehow end up on South Korean soil. North Korea lately hasn't been accepting these bodies back to its own territory for burial, and so the South Korean government says, well, before we cremate these bodies, we're going to take some DNA samples so that one day in the future, we may be able to get words back to their family that, well, you know, your uncle, brother, cousin, slash father, whatever, was found dead here in South Korea. Sorry about that, but you know, we got the DNA
1: exactly, and then maybe potentially funeral for the families for closure. It's, right. it's 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 ideal, but I rarely write about stories where experts. If there's a consensus that something is a good policy, and this was one. Yeah. Because although there's a very low possibility that there will be reunion, family reunion in in any day mm. um, in the future, close future, and also North Korea opening up the communication lines again, I think it's really low possibility, but still. Every summer there are some sort of bodies that float downstream from Inter-Korean River or, or, or coast or whatnot.
0: And for our listeners, that's because in the summer there's more rains, there's more flooding, there's a greater chance of somebody being swept away in a torrent of water and ending up on South Korean soil by accident.
1: Right, and there's a lot of downstream stuff at the border near the demilitarized zone. And then usually what happens is, even when, so it's a legal issue as well. First of all, DNA sample taking, it's very strict in South Korea under domestic law. Oh. Uh, so they do need a legal amendment for That's why they're doing ah, this. okay. Um, even w- when it's a dead body. Right, um, because there
0: has to be somebody giving permission normally, right? Right. And and in this case, they're, they're labeled as, People with no family members, right? So the government could say, "Well, we have to take DNA because they've got no so, family." So, so
1: that was a problem that South Korean government was trying to solve because it's very insulting for North Korean if they were North Koreans who were who are dead to be cremated without knowledge of who they are, right? Just marked as unaffiliated forever. That that is quite sad, actually. Yeah. So they wanted to give some justice to them. And secondly, a lot of North Korean bodies, when they float down, even when there are surefire signs that they're North Korean bodies from the police perspective, like the Kim Il-sung badges, or their clothes that they're wearing, or or malnutrition, yes, hats and whatever, the bodies are usually very much rotten. And it's very difficult to tell who they are. And North Korean authorities definitely do not confirm if they're North Koreans these days. There were more in the past, Mm -hmm. but these days they don't. So Is that
0: part of a... the not talking to the South Korean government, just yeah. one, one piece of that? Yeah. Okay. And
1: then because of that, the authorities here, even after after post-mortem um, investigation, it's difficult for, for them to mark them as North Korean residents legally. Oh, I see. So sometimes they are, like reporters know that they're North Koreans, but they end up being nobodies. Oh, yeah.
2: Okay.
0: Well, I learned through this article that there is a... Uh a columbarium, which for our listeners who don't know is a place where ashes are stored, uh, cremated remains, in Incheon City, mm. uh, where some of these people's remains are kept,
1: in Kangwon Province as well. Oh, there the, are well,
0: two, two sides, okay, east and west coast. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. But they,
1: but they are they are laid with other all sorts of unaffiliated bodies. Right. Not marked who they are, really.
0: It's, It's a sad story. But yeah, I mean, there's so many of them just due to the existence of a separated country where you can't talk to members of your family. So it's good that there'll be some DNA on record so that one day if somebody turns up and says, you know, what happened to this person? um that that closure could be there and
1: and also interesting is that the um, separated families department under the unification ministry is leading this not defector department or anything Ah. because they are amending and expanding an existing law or, or more like a rule government rule on dna sampling the separated family members right so that they can check later on if the next generation can check who their cousins were and so on and so forth yep
0: Wow. Okay. So third story. Now, this is a Korea pro story that you did, but mm-hmm. it definitely relates to North Korea. So we know that since 1960, North Korea and Cuba have had uh, diplomatic relations with mm-hmm. each other. And the two countries have an embassy. So uh, Cuba has an embassy in Pyongyang. North Korea has an embassy in Havana. And last week, in fact, on Valentine's Day, a very unusual Valentine's Day for yep. South Korea, South Korea normalized relations with Cuba for the first time ever. Established
1: diplomatic ties. Right, And South Korea-Cuba relations soured really after the Cuban Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and right after that, North Korean-Cuba relations improved. But I- I'm seeing a lot of reports that this was for a secret negotiation. So reporters also didn't know. So this was a surprise.
0: Right. And this was a long time coming, I understand. Long
1: time coming. It was 20 years in the making. Whoa. Multiple administrations failed. But wow. they all tried yeah. because there's a very big a trade potential with Cuba between South Korea and Cuba. What's the trade draw? The resources, really of okay. the raw resources right. in, in Cuba. But also there are other trade needs. South Korea wants to diversify the supply chain, and Cuba is a very good target right now. Huh. But a lot of, first of all, South Korean government officials speaking anonymously framed it like, oh, this is a win for the de- liberal democracy for winning over socialist countries or former socialist countries, and this will help us isolate North Korea further, blah, 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 blah. blah. I, I thought I was a bit...
0: Cuba's still... Technically, socialist, right? I think it's, so, it's, yeah. it's far from being a liberal yeah, and, democracy, and,
1: and it's one—it's one of the closest friends that North Korea has. Right. and that embassy was one of the last to to leave Pyongyang, really. And
0: oh, you mean during the COVID pandemic?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Ah. So they're very, very close. And to frame this as a win for South Korea ideologically, I thought that was a little bit off. Too much ego, I think. But I do think that this could ruffle some feathers in in North Korea for Cuba. They're one of their best friends for being friends with their enemies, really. (laughs)
0: And and as I recall, uh, the the Cuban state-owned newspaper had a uh, a journalist in Pyongyang for a long time. uh, Oh, I didn't know about that. So uh, it'll be interesting to look up the Cuban newspaper. I I forget the name of it. And... uh, and find out what they've been saying about oh, this. Oh, it could be really awkward for them, right? It, <laughs> right. But, but, I mean, the, how many? there's so many countries now that have relations with both Koreas, and, and Cuba's yeah, just the a last handful. among many. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't think South Korea needs to read too much into this as a win, but right. it, it will... Help diversify trade supply chains. I think that's the most important
0: thing. Okay, and for Cuba, what's the draw? What what can it get from Korea? Is it looking at what construction contracts or uh, automobile factory? Oh, I see. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and there are also high tech industries that South Korea is working on, so Cuba could, you know, take advantage of that a little bit. So this is, but trade will come later. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. They will have to negotiate further, and that will be also difficult. But diplomatic ties that was twenty years in the making is very important, but. I think maybe for Cuban diplomats, it, it it could be a little bit difficult going forward to um, engage with North Korea because North Korea has been doing this just in general terms. They have been cutting off relations or trying to distance themselves yeah. from anyone who's affiliated or friends with South Korea.
0: Well, I know that in the past, not sure if this still goes on, I know that in the past, some of the Cuban diplomats before being stationed in Pyongyang Actually came to Seoul and did language studies here, and I don't know really? how. The, yeah, I don't know how the Pyongyang government felt about that at the Seoul time.
1: Solmaya speaking Solmaya, right? May. Speaking
0: Solmaya <laughs> with the, with the, uh, the the girlish Seoul accent. Oh, they
1: would have needed post, you know, edu- re-education. Re-education, yeah. <laughs> so,
0: uh, so. It, it, it's not the. It's certainly not the first time that the As Cubans, right. you know, that Cuba has "quote unquote" betrayed North Korea uh, mm. in a way. But this is certainly a higher level. What has been the United States' response to this establishment of relations? Uh,
1: very generic. They have the State Department said that they Washington respects Seoul's decision to improve ties with Cuba, which is, you know, it's a, it's a respectful thing to say. Yeah. So there's well, not w- much there. Washington has
0: its own office in Cuba, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, although they have ongoing sanctions-related stuff ah. or designations related to Cuba, the diplomatic relations, I think it's fine from Washington's point of view. Right, But the important factor that we have to keep an eye on would be Trump.
0: Yes, yeah. When he comes back in, oh, if he comes again, goodness me, that's, <laughs> not, that's not a foregone conclusion yet. Um, now, to those listeners who are uh, frequenters of cigar bars in Seoul, that mm. may be good news. Uh, maybe at some stage. That's
1: what John John said immediately. He after immediately went, he went straight news. for a cigar. Yes. Oh my
0: goodness. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much for coming on Thank the you. show today, Jongmin. Listeners, stay tuned because after this break, I've got a long interview with Martin Weiser about unification leadership tracker on nk pro local elections in north korea late last year and the uh, the unification minister and uh, and what he was up to before he was unification minister so stay tuned for that and john we'll see you again in a, in a few weeks i hope
1: thanks see you soon
0: bye join the korea pro community and unlock a world of exclusive insights on korea as a Korea Pro member, you gain access to articles, expert analyses, and comprehensive reports that keep you ahead on Korean affairs. Plus, enjoy priority invites to our unique events in Seoul that connect you with key leaders and influencers. Elevate your understanding of Korea. Join us today at koreapro.org podcast. Hello and welcome back, and we have now a special guest on the show for the first time, Martin Weiser. Martin received his MA from Korea University in 2014. He has continued researching North Korea's political history as an independent researcher since then. His writings have appeared on Sino-NK, and in 28, an article that he published on North Korea's legal system appeared in the European Journal of Korean Studies. Martin writes analysis pieces for NK News and NK Pro and also maintains the data tools like the missile tracker, etc., you can find him on Twitter at NK Researcher. Welcome on the show, Martin. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Martin, I thought we would start by talking about the statement that Kim Jong-un made on December 31st. We've talked about this with other people in the podcast where he called for a new party line, one in which the DPRK is no longer interested in unification with the Republic of Korea. What do you make of this shift?
3: Yeah, so actually, there was, uh, was it yesterday, like the next statement at the North Korean Parliament where he said, let's cut out all the unification references from the Constitution, put right. in some more stuff, which basically is, yeah, deepening the division he's proclaimed, like yeah. in December. Yeah. And for me, it's, of course, it's very surprising this happened now, and uh, there were not much uh, hints on that before, but. When
0: you say now, you mean now not, say, 70 years ago when the Korean War ended or, or now in the winter when there's not much going on? What do you mean by Actually, that?
3: Actually, I mean uh, in both ways. So we okay. know uh, apparently not inter-Korean relations were not good for several years now. Sure, and sure. Like yeah. I think, what was it, in uh, 2021, early 2021, they already said, yeah, if you don't change your policy like to the Moon administration, then we're going to take steps like abolishing this, what is it called, this inter-Korean committee for uh, peaceful unification. Right, and then, of course, they could have done it a lot earlier yeah. or at least be more open about it or do it even later because right. it doesn't seem to help him right now, except for like a military campaign to do this. So he could have waited, for example, for the next president and see if it's, yeah, if anything's going to change, maybe give it another try. But now he just said, let's do it now and break off everything.
0: Yeah, it, it does sound all very dramatic. What he's been saying, talking about taking down the arch of the three great principles of unification and removing uh, unification from the uh, the Constitution and changing the text of all songs that mention unification. I mean, it, it's, uh, it looks like it's pretty thorough going. Is this a change in tactics or a change in overall strategy? What do you think?
3: Uh, so I can't really uh, respond to that question because tactics and strategy is really a vague difference. <laughs> To me, at least, because we know nothing about North Korea, it's really hard to figure out: is it just short-term or is it really fundamental, fundamental change?
0: Well, take the changes that we've mentioned already. Are these changes that you think can be easily reversed?
3: So, in my opinion, of course, it can be easily uh, reversed. Of course, if, for example, Kim would have to leave office for whatever reason, if he uh, dies too early or, you know, whatever uh, happens, then other people can have different opinions about that because. So in the end, they are interested in unification. They think Koreans or like South Koreans basically belong into the Korean homeland of whatever the DPRK thinks it is right now. So they can still shift on it. They're always going to be anti-American, anti-conservative anti forces in South Korea, but they mm-hmm. can just say, yeah, but we acknowledge you are similar to us. We still can go back to earlier. But they're not saying that now. Yes, but uh, North Korea is saying... Uh, they usually have propaganda campaigns where they say really strong things and then they beg out a little or keep it for later. So it's not, uh, so you have to look beyond the uh, rhetoric basically and say, yes. see, uh, so they have a military campaign, which of course they want to uh, support by this harsh rhetoric of war and we are prepared to go to war and occupy basically South Korea. But it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's like so when you right say, now it's just rhetoric.
0: Today. When you say that a military campaign, I mean, are we talking about, action against South Korea by the North Korean military?
3: Uh, so they threatened that. Yes. So that, that's a difference. They threatened that. And right. then, of course, you, know, uh, you have very old uh, generals which grew up uh, under Kim Il-sung and who believe in unification, basically, and they believe in yeah, protecting even South Koreans from uh, military or, like, collateral damages. And yep. uh, Kim jong one of this campaign aim seems to be to do away with this uh, humanitarian basically holding back of uh, civilian casualties to me in a sense so they just say if uh, we go to war then there's not going to be any uh, holding back or any sparing south koreans basically okay just so for, everybody's
0: a legitimate target soldiers civilians it doesn't matter no, no, i didn't mean it like that
3: okay. but it's just like if you go to war against your own people you're gonna be uh go softer so yep. that's basically the point and they say now that's now gone okay if basically In the North Korea, if Yun says he can bomb the North Korean headquarters, whatever, then they're like, we're not going to spare your headquarters and any civilians involved, basically. They're not going to just bomb uh, or kill thousands of civilians for no reason. But Mm -hmm. if war comes, of course, then there's going to be lots of people dying.
0: Do do you think that the, the message in North Korea is still, the teaching in North Korea is still that we're all one people?
3: I don't know that. So... So apparently they cancelled the inter-Korean agreements for yeah. them. Uh, they took away this Kim Jong-un idea of, or is this, uh, someday honjang I I don't know the translation right now, but these principles. Yeah. And then they have to build up something uh, new, which Kim Jong-un might want to do. So to say we are completely different mm-hmm. countries and we have to have really equal uh, relations and nothing, uh, no benefits for anyone without any yeah for, equal treatment.
0: For Kim Jong-un, whose leadership is based on being descended from the, the Pek to bloodline from his father Kim Jong-il, from his grandfather Kim jong uh, Kim Il-sung. Is this a risk to change the message in such a radical way and say that we're, we're doing it very different from the past, we're going to go in a different you know, my way?
3: So actually, uh, my expertise is not so much in speculating about what North Korea is doing, but uh, what I see in South Korea is also young people, 30s, 40s, they are not that much interested in unification, so they just think it's expensive, we don't know these people anymore, they're too mm-hmm. different. And of course, in North Korea, maybe people think the same. So there are, of course, lots of culture inflow, movies, uh, dramas, uh, music, but in the end, they don't really know the South Korean. So this, what Kim Il-sung had and the older persons, so they knew there was a unified Korea before and they want this back, that idea basically is not so present, I guess, anymore. And Kim Jong-un might try to uh, use this opportunity that there are not so many opponents to that idea that he just wants to create basically a uh, divided pen- peninsula mm-hmm. for in reality for them, not with this unification it's going to happen soon yeah. idea. Yeah,
0: Certainly in South Korea, the idea of peaceful coexistence is an increasingly popular one. Do you think that Kim Jong-un, has he shown any sign that he's comfortable with peaceful coexistence of two Koreas on the one peninsula?
3: Yeah, and th- that's again like uh, what is he going to make from out of this phrase, like peaceful coexistence, because uh, he already said it's uh, unification is basically done now, so we're two different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you can read between the lines. And then, of course, he's going to be very interested in having peaceful relations instead of all-out war. And he said that we're not going to go to war if we, yeah, if we are not attacked.
0: But he has used phrases like uh, "enemy state" and "warring states," and that it, it you know, I, I haven't, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I haven't uh, read all of his output in the last few weeks, but I, I don't recall him mentioning peaceful states or we live side by side in peace or things like that. I mean, the, the phrases that are, are used are enemy and, and warring, and that that's...
3: Yes, but uh, so we can also see the UN administration having a very uh, similar approach, so they write into the was it a Ministry of Defense white book that North Korea is the principal enemy or main enemy. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what the word is, but basically North Korea now wants to do the same, and just uh, put basically the rhetoric out. Uh, that's what our policy line is now, and That might actually change later.
0: So last week, over 10 days after Kim Jong-un's December 31st statement, North Korea took several of its main channels of messaging to the outside world down from the Internet, websites like Uri Yom Yong, DPRK Today, uh, and also some Twitter, Weibo, and Instagram accounts. What do you make of this? How does this reflect the new strategy?
3: I was a little bit surprised because first I saw they took out uh, like basically unification news sections from websites, mm-hmm. or uh, basically those were not even fed with any new text. So for several months, but then suddenly also the websites disappeared. So they could have done it in one go, and apparently they had some internal discussions, or yeah, basically wanted to have an agreement to back out of all these propaganda initiatives. Yeah, so I was hoping maybe everything is gonna come back someday, but uh, right now it looks like they yeah going to completely newly create social media campaigns or uh, websites to maybe target only yeah, Koreans abroad, not on the Korean Peninsula, or you know all these friendship organizations they have that are basically very loyal to them. And then the propaganda is also going to be completely different, I assume. Not, uh, For example, not talking about fake news about North Korea, but uh, being more basically aligned with state propaganda that we already have access to.
0: Who were in the previous websites and, and, and radio stations and other forms of media? Who were they, Well, what what were they trying? What was North Korea trying to achieve with this message? Who were they targeting, and what, what did they want to convince people?
3: That is, of course, a very hard very hard to uh, understand what the actual aim is. But so they had uh, the different things. So for for one, they just did basically public relations campaign. so just portray North Korea as a normal country where people have ice cream, go to, I don't know, like uh, cinema or other, just have normal daily life. So that's one thing. But then they also, for example, attacked uh, fake news when North Korea was in a uh, food crisis, basically, I think two years ago. Then they responded to that by showing supermarket stuff with only domestic like snacks and goods. So they tried to challenge this narrative that North Koreans are basically starving. So they have basically these two things: doing just like some daily life, general entertainment, and then also trying to basically, uh, yeah, challenge like narratives they don't like about North Korea.
0: And if you uh, just said that they might be in future, in a fu- future iteration, trying to target different people, maybe the Korean diaspora around the world rather than South Koreans. Uh, yeah, would that be with a similar intent, a similar message to? One portray North Korea as a normal country, and two to counter fake news about North Korea.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. How uh, basically how much thought they're going to put into this? Because what I could see from the uh, videos I saw, it they were really uh, badly edited, so they had censorship in them. And usually we would, ha- or like a normal PR person would just have we shot everything, mm. so it it really looks uh, perfect. There's no hints of editing or censorship, but they they. Yeah, either they run on a really short budget uh, budget time or something, so they it's really amateurish to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Yeah. And if they now decide we're going to do it more professional and more uh, basically concentrated on just a few persons or channels, then maybe it's going to be a lot better, like from the quality and uh, also the narrative they push. So they might uh, pick very specific questions out of it instead of just general, yeah, we heard fake news, we have uh, food for everyone, and then you just see they basically don't have a lot of food and it's just a cheap domestic snakes or something.
0: You also mentioned the friendship groups that have been loyal to North Korea for a long time. That would imply that they would be putting out a lot of propaganda in non-Korean messaging, French, German, English, Arabic, Spanish, whatever the, the languages of their, their friendship groups are.
3: Yes, so they're on the one side, there are these basically in Western countries or Africa, Latin America, friendship groups, and yep. they are also, of course, these, uh, like in China, Japan, they have these closely affiliated, like Chongyun in uh, Japan or these uh, I don't know if the Chinese one has a specific name, but mm. just basically uh, organization for Koreans that feel more identify more with North Korea in uh, China, and th- those kind of might get uh, completely different programs. So we saw that uh, there's some Russian YouTube influencers basically from North Korea and Chinese speaking, so they might more focus on that, especially now that's basically what they perceive as a new Cold War. They are a lot more closer with China than maybe they're going to spend more effort on these channels instead of always having someone uh, speaking English or Mm -hmm. yeah, basically responding to uh, like Yonhap stories they uh, might have read.
0: We've also seen lately in the last couple of days a disbandment or a disillusion or a radical reorganization of a bunch of North Korean bodies, such as the Committee for the Peaceful Unification of the Fatherland, the, the June 15th Committee in North Korea, the United Front Department of the Korean Workers' Party. So it's more than just uh, taking down some uh, some websites, it looks like a, a big reorganization of the the organs and institutions. Do you see that as significant?
3: Of course it's uh, signifi- significant, and uh, I, wa- I was a little bit shocked, you know, because uh, there was Kim Di Jong's 100th birthday anniversary in, I think, June 6th, mm. and then just a few days before they took down the uh, magazine of this June 15th uh, committee in North Korea and uh, all these uh, unification sections, so that wasn't really a nice birthday present uh, to celebrate this event. And when I looked at the website, actually, it looked like since about March or uh, May, last year already, they did not put any content up there anymore. Uh-huh. So it looked to me like they, around that time when Kim Jong-un basically was showing himself on state media with uh, plans to basically bomb South Korea with... Uh, I'm not sure if it was nuclear weapons at the time already, Mm -hmm. but so he already had these attack plans, and out of the sun, same time, all these unification messages basically get silenced. So to me, it looked really like they already were working on that, and then it just was this December plan where they said, "Okay, we are not, we are now going to make it official," and then basically that's when we all learned about it. But it was going on already months before.
0: Right, so with the disillusion of, of some of these government bodies and, and the, the changing in the messaging, once again, if, if you could summarize for us, how do you understand the, the new uh, Rawson or uh, party line uh, in North Korea?
3: Yeah, so it, the problem is there was no real or unification rhetoric a lot, but not much exchange between North and South Korea. So in reality, little change for them. So they just abolished all these uh, in institutions, which of course might have pushed for more softer line on South Korea. But in the end, they... It's going to be no real change, and now they have to basically create a new terminology for this. How do they do relations between two different Korean states? Then it's not going to be the June 15th yeah, statement, basically, where they have to rely on, but some new, uh, more equal, basically, diplomatic relations. From there, it can develop in a good or bad way, so that's really hard to tell right now.
0: So it could maybe become a bit more like the relationship between the two Germanys before 1989 where they each have an office in each other's capital and, and have almost state-to-state relations, do you think?
3: Yes, yeah, so like the reference to Germany might be a, a good one because they even way before, basically from the beginning, they had a lot of exchange, they had a lot of agreements, mm-hmm. legal obligations to each other. And just if you look at Berlin, that never was really their territory but divided and everyone could just visit from West Berlin to East Berlin and these things. But of course, on the Korean peninsula. Because I think Lee jae uh, said that, Yoon is saying it right now, or like the unification relations have to be equal. And that's just like basically most countries try to uh, establish their diplomatic relations and then it's going to be if, yeah, and then it's the question, how do they put that into practice? Do they say, uh, once you uh, let your people watch our television, then we are going to let our people watch your television? So that mm-hmm. approach, or is it going to be more forthcoming and say, okay, we're going to take this step and you please take that step soon? Then we can move on again like in a step-in-step approach we saw uh, in the past or is it just going to freeze into uh, basically two countries which pretend not to know each other?
0: You've just mentioned the watching each other's television and that brings me to my next question. Do you want to say anything about the level of access to and censorship of North Korean materials here in South Korea?
3: Uh, Of course, uh, I have a lot uh, to say to that because for 10 years now I try to figure out how the South Koreans basically... Think about that censorship because, of course, it's a problem for researchers who want to access that for normal people who have to get a grasp of what's going on yeah. with basically 30 million other uh, Korean people. But uh, so far, they are really uptight. They don't explain uh, why they have, have to censor completely innocent websites and these things. And because we uh, talked about all these North Korean YouTube influences… Of course, people always say it's important that people don't get brainwashed basically by always uh, reading North Korean newspapers, watching their television. But even if you watch these things, you get all the contradictions they deal with. For example, like I mentioned, the supermarket where you only have North Korean snacks and no imports basically, which confirms that they had like yeah some food problems. Then in other things, you have like this uh, one young girl that pretended to be a Harry Potter fan. Mm-hmm. And then the funny thing was she she was speaking a perfect English mm-hmm. but the uh, Harry Potter Harry Potter book she held into the camera was actually a Chinese translation. Oh. And I I don't think many people noticed because of course it has Harry Potter in English on it but yeah. in the I think top right corner you can see the Chinese characters. Ah. And uh, so because I saw that uh, Harry Potter cover when I was in China like uh, 10 years ago I yeah recognized it but right. uh, of course There is some issue there because she's probably not uh, trilingual in Chinese, English, perfect speaker. So maybe they just thought, our China is close by. We just order one, basically get it across the border and then pretend she's a Harry Potter fan. So you can see all these contradictions that don't make sense if you really watch the propaganda.
0: So would you, as a researcher, would you recommend that uh, there be more access to North Korean propaganda materials here in South Korea? Well, actually, even not as a researcher. Do you think that South Korean citizens should be allowed to watch North Korean TV if they want to or read a North Korean website or newspaper? Just like, again, the the German comparison, just like uh, happened in, in West Germany, right? It was always possible to buy East German newspapers and magazines in the West.
3: Yeah, so I don't know really about the West German example, but in principle it was all possible. You could even go to East Germany and uh, go to the library and bring everything goodbye. Yeah. But one thing, so because I'm a scientist, so I try to be very precise, you mm. know, basically everyone in South Korea can watch South Korean television. So the only thing is, so they have to go to the Ministry of Unification library, then of course register. So you have to be a certain age, I think 16 mm-hmm. to do that or 14. And then you have to wait two uh, two weeks until the TV material is uh, supplied to them. Right. Then you can watch it. Maybe not the best quality HD. Other people get via satellite. but So you can watch it. But who's going to do that? Yeah. Who's going to take like the, I don't know, from, if you're living on Tokto, it's impossible. If you live somewhere a few hours away, it's impossible. So Right. There's only one location. No one uh, can watch it except people living in Seoul. Yeah. So so it's basically, it's not completely censored, but nobody can access it mm. in reality. So it's just a very strange way to keep material from
0: accessing. Okay, let's uh, move on to our second topic. One of the things that you do here at NK News and NK Pro is you keep the leadership tracker up to date. So I want to talk a bit about that. You're in charge of data integrity at the Leadership Tracker and that's a tool for, well, everyone who already subscribes to NK Pro will know but that's a tool that you can use to keep an eye on, on, on who's doing what. So can you tell us how the Leadership Tracker works?
3: Yeah, so in its core, it's basically trying to track every appearance of uh, Kim Jong-In that is uh, announced in state media like a real event. So, mm-hmm. of course, sometimes they for example show like these uh, red basically placards uh, that they put on buildings and we don't include uh, those. If they say, for example, uh, Kim jong Un visited a supermarket three times, then we're not going to put this into the tracker. But if it's basically like a front news story where they say Kim jong Un visited this munitions factory or like gave this New speech at uh, Parliament or somewhere else, then we're going to include this in the tracker and also all the other people that show up in the same uh, news report.
0: So you're talking about news reports. So you, obviously you use the Rodong Shinmun. What other sources do you use to update it?
3: Um, so the good thing about Kim Jong-In reports is they show up in every media. Mm. So it's very, it does not make a difference if we would cover like all of them, so, okay. which we, of course, do. Yeah. But it's always the same news story, uh, KCNA, Rodong Shimon, all the other uh, outlets. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so one thing uh, we do with this tracker is that we... Not just include all the persons that show up, also like the titles they are mentioned with. So sometimes there's no title, but it's usually like, is it a deputy department director for Kim Yo-jong or basically a minister of defense or these things, which is, of course, important for to uh, keep track of uh, any changes that might happen. Yes. And we also uh, yeah, list like the rank of people, uh, the sequence in which they are mentioned, so that way right. we also can figure out, okay, did, uh, for example, some person drop to the end of the list, yeah. or did Kim Yo jong basically get, it, get uh, higher standing because she shows up like second, out yeah. of a sudden instead of seventh, these kind of things.
0: And that's often especially visible in very formal events like a, a funeral of somebody or a, a visit to the, the Kim Il-sung mausoleum, right? That we, There's a uh, very yeah. clear order in which people walk or stand.
2: So
3: one thing is that they really write this in the text, which often uh, does not happen. So they only mention, for example, like the Politburo Presidium members, like four or five people yeah. below Kim Jong-In. And then, of course, you have the whole Politburo. Sometimes it's mentioned if the Parliament convenes or some other important events. But uh, like that's another of my jobs to try to track uh, the ranking of people that are not mentioned. So mm. if I... For example, look at a picture of these uh, Kim Soo-san uh, mausoleum visits. Yep. Then you also can figure out uh, who's uh, basically uh, moving to another position or who uh, was expelled from the Politburo. That's subtle details you can figure out if you basically know how, t- how to decode all this uh, ranking protocol they have.
0: So have you become quite good at recognizing faces of, uh, of unnamed North Korean people?
3: Not of unnamed North Korean people, of course, but like most of the top persons, maybe was it like 40, 50, like the ministers and yeah. those I yeah, I tend to recognize, okay. even if it's just like the back of the head or yeah, side.
0: And so this is trying to understand the upper echelons of North Korea's leadership through appearances. It's kind of what they used to call Kremlinology in in the Soviet era.
3: Yeah, basically the same approach. Right.
0: So uh, in the last year or two, can you uh, tell us what are the three biggest leadership developments that you've noticed and and, and why they matter in understanding North Korea's leadership?
3: Uh, The three biggest is, that's of course a hard uh, question, but… So, there's this big uh, question mark of this, uh, what they call a first secretary of the central committee. Mm-hmm. So, we, we didn't even know about it until the party regulations got leaked, I think, in uh, summer 2021.
0: Yeah. You mean we didn't know about the existence of the position? Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
3: Because uh, so they had a party congress in January 2021. Yeah. And then they talked a little bit about the regulation changes, and but they never referenced this first secretary mm. position. So, Apparently, it had to have a purpose. And then, of course, speculation was maybe Kim Jong-in is ill or, you know, he wants to prepare for orderly succession. Yeah. Whoever might uh, take that. And then the question is, if they already uh, keep it a secret, maybe they also don't want to announce a person that was given this position. Yes. Then I try to figure out maybe the ranking tells us something about who might take this position. Because if, if it's the first uh, secretary, so he's the person directly below uh, Kim jong Un, And mm-hmm. that always should be the number two in all situations.
0: Yeah. And so do we know who that is now? And
3: of course, we don't know. Then I would have uh, written an analysis about that or uh, many other people would know as well. But we saw some really strange uh, changes. So, for example, so I had to look that up. And uh, yeah, several months ago or two years, uh, there was this very uh, senior guy called uh, Chong Sang-hak, Sang-hak. I might uh, confuse that name right now. And suddenly in uh, Nodong Shimon article on the front page, he was listed first mm. before, for example, uh, Cho Young-won, who is uh, considered like the right hand of Kim Jong-un. Yeah. And then that was uh, very strange. So if he got promoted to the top, that should mean he was put on the Politburo Presidium mm-hmm. or uh, got uh, this first secretary job. Yeah. And then suddenly uh, the state media retracted this report and then put him into, uh, basically they split up the group, said uh, Cho Young-won, accompanied Kim jong In, so he just arrived there with him and the other officials all basically welcomed him when he uh, arrived. And then the problem is the ranking information thereby is gone. So oh. they might still it might still be uh, the case, but they just try to obfuscate it basically mm-hmm. to hide it between these, uh, yeah, basically pl- splitting those uh, two persons in two sentences and yeah. then you can't tell basically who's
0: right. at which position. And one other uh, leadership change that you've noticed uh, recently. Uh, uh, so, actually, I'm not uh, finished. So, that oh, story sorry.
3: kept uh, popping up. So, because there might be other changes. And the one thing uh, that happened is uh, Kim Do-kun, the premier or prime minister of North Korea, he also suddenly uh, switched position, positions and became the number two. And that's, for me, that's uh, like the most reliable sign that something happened to him, that maybe he got this position to be at least in uh, the party sense, the uh, official successor to Kim Jong-un, if anything happens. And that was. Also very confusing because an off-screen media also did not acknowledge it, but only a few months after he showed up in pictures at the, f- at the front, suddenly his name and Cho Ryung-hye switched positions and then it was at least clear for me something happened internally that must have yeah, caused this.
0: So that name again is Kim Dok kun is it? Yes. Okay, so he's someone to watch.
3: And uh, that's an interesting uh, point. He was severely criticized by Kim Jong-un recently, a yeah. few months ago, and nothing happened to him. So that's a very surprising event. Right.
0: Now, in the last year and a few months, the daughter of Kim Jong-un has been seen in many photographs uh, and has been given a title, but not a name. We still don't uh, have a name published in North Korea Media. How how do you see her role or her future role? Is she being prepared for a role?
3: Yeah, so I can't really predict uh, what's going to happen to her, but I see uh, what media is doing. So they really tie her to the missile and satellite program. And uh, so I wrote this one analysis a few weeks ago, or like maybe even days. Yeah. But you basically can see that the way no- North Korean Safe Meter is talking about her or like referencing her or just ignoring her, even if she shows up in uh, pictures, is really linked somehow to the satellite program. Mm. So we had it in the beginning and then apparently when she showed up, it was like the Hwasong 17 test for the first time. Yeah. And then uh, she visited the Satellite uh, Institute and these preparations. And then suddenly there were no more references to her. And that uh, happened shortly after the first satellite launch uh, failed. And then you had uh, another one and suddenly she uh, appeared again. Media was referenced again. Then we had the successful launch, I think, in uh, November, the third one. Then suddenly uh, a few weeks later, of course, uh, she got her own sentence in state media, which is usually that's something that happened, for example, to Kim Jong-il like a sign of a successor or a really politically important person. They want to uh, differentiate from other officials. So it really looks like they're like, okay, she's going to have to have a politically important position in the future and Mm. we have to acknowledge this now. And that also fits with uh, that they don't release her name yet because North Korean Street Media really is uh, very strict about how to present the the name of the leader and the successor. So it has to be in a bold font and some honorific titles, like, of course, Tongji, like Comrades, but then before also like Beloved, Respected, something like that. So we already have this in state media, but without the name. So yep. it's, uh, I think, Chajebun or something, right. just meaning yeah. daughter. But basically, they're not at this stage yet where they say, okay, we can reveal her name, put her in bold, and then maybe they try to skip this part or yeah, keep it for later.
0: It, it's interesting, isn't it? The sort of uh, sanctity that they give to, to names. I recall similarly before Kim Jong Un had his coming out party in September or October 2010. That uh, I think everybody in North Korea knew about him, but they weren't using his name yet in the uh, in the media and wa- weren't talking about him to foreigners.
3: I'm not sure what kind of yeah term they used, but it was like uh, Changunim or Odin Changunim yeah, something. Like.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the young general or yeah. the youthful young general, or general yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's something to uh, to watch as uh, the daughter of Kim Jong Un continues to grow to see what role or what title she may get. How old... Do you remember, uh, r- roughly speaking, how old Kim Jong-il was when he first got some kind of party title or party job? Oh. Uh, I was he already an adult? I imagine he was already an adult. Probably, right? uh,
3: yeah, yeah. I don't memorize all the bi- short biographies on the yeah, yeah. website, but it, I think it was when he was like yeah, 20, 22, something. So he, uh, of course, joined the party and then yeah. he had some lower responsibilities and then probably with 32 or something, he yeah, was fully engaged in mm. party work yeah
0: okay so she's certainly got some time left d- depending on the on the health and yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and the the longevity of her father okay so let's uh, move on to our, our third topic that I want to talk about with you uh, today this one is about local elections in North Korea in November last year North Korea held local elections after election law reforms were made at the party plenary last June uh, how were the November 26 local elections similar and different from North Korean elections in the past Maybe the yeah, there was one
3: big uh, differences uh, difference, and so they allowed uh, basically, or they acknowledged votes against the candidates. That is something they didn't do since the uh, early nineteen sixties. So basically, they always say one hundred percent of people participated and one hundred percent voted in favor of candidates. Mm-hmm. And for that, you have to know basically people only have uh, they only get one candidate they can vote for yeah. in the real election. And then it can easily put their basically ballot into a box or just cross out the name with a very random looking pencil and at least in the videos we have access to Mm -hmm. and of course not yeah there is real no incentive to do that so of course there's always going to be very few people that try to protest but at least now they acknowledged i think a really low percentage like zero nine percent or something and that's interesting because of Uh, Two reasons. For one, that they say, okay, we're going to acknowledge a position against the people we put forward. Mm -hmm. And the second one is that uh, even because they released different results for provincial and local, like city, uh, county uh, deputies, that yeah, the provincial deputies had a much higher... uh, or not that much higher, but a higher support rate, basically. Mm -hmm. But on the local level, people were less satisfied, basically. Mm -hmm. They didn't want those candidates to a certain degree. It's just like a few thousand people, maybe 10,000 people, that voted against candidates. But you can see, okay, the closer they are with the people, basically, the more likely they are to vote against them. Or say, we wanted a different one that we knew, uh, because one other change that at least we know about now is that they had these two-way competitions before elections basically like a few hundred uh, voters basically gather and then they have recommended persons. Yeah. How they, uh, so that's how they call they Basically, they recommend someone to be deputy and then this uh, voting council, small voting council has to decide uh, which to choose. And uh, then of course, if you debate uh, who's a better person, then there are going to be more people who say, yeah, actually the other one is better in my opinion. Then you get these uh, higher opposition rates basically to candidates.
0: So looking at the, the big picture of North Korea, what can we learn overall about the, uh, the, the change in, in local election law and how they were run?
3: Yeah, one thing that's really fascinating is that so these yeah, basically more competitive elections, even if it's not much choice for voters, they don't came out of nothing. So we, for example, Asia Press interviewed one North Korean who said since, I think, 2022, they had yeah, these very competitive elections on their workplaces or other uh, units where they had two or three candidates standing up for post and then people really could freely vote who basically should head the unit or take some other uh, rents- responsibility. so they already had these kind of trial elections on the workplace in the workplace which they put then on the uh, national scale mm-hmm. and also yeah one thing was that kim jong un suddenly talked about inter- intra-party uh, democracy
0: within, like, I within s- the korean workers party yeah that's yeah. of
3: course in his own party when mm-hmm. he visited i think the party uh, school yeah like yeah last year and that's also that is very interesting because at least in communist philo- philosophy they are very about control and all these things but they also always emphasize yeah the people have to really support it we have to some, you have to uh, do some voting some opinion collection and then of course in the party you also have to debate policies and then put them up to a vote yeah. and that also aligns with suddenly the parliament having these deliberation sessions the party central committee uh, meetings also so there is something going on apparently for uh, one or two years. And now suddenly they uh, took this big step to also change the election law, have uh, very different elections to like the past basically 50, 60 years.
0: Okay, well, that's interesting. Of course, the first word in the formal name of North Korea is democratic. So North Korea is trying to be more democratic at the local level. And we'll see what that results in in the future. We may come back and talk about that in a future time. Our, uh, Our last topic I want to talk about today is the it's also unification-related. We started this interview talking about North Korea's new ROSON or line on unification. So let's now talk about the man who is in charge of implementing South Korea's line on unification. And last year, you analyzed over 5,400 YouTube videos uploaded by Kim jong ho the man who is now the unification minister under President Yoon Song-yeol. His channel, Professor Kim Yong-ho Reads the World, was deleted in June last year, but you were able to find Archives of these videos on something called Playboard. So, Martin, uh, tell us the big picture of what you learned from these 5,400 videos.
3: So, maybe uh, first, I have to uh, wager that I did not have access to all the videos. Ah. So, it's basically just collects metadata like thanks of the video, how, how many people watched it, and of course, titles and these kind of things. But okay. like the actual footage is lost for most of the things he uh, deleted. Ah. So, I can't really say anything about what he said in most of these videos. For example, how he talked about uh, prison camps, which mm-hmm. is one in one title of the videos in uh North Korea or these kind of things.
0: Okay, so it's more accurate to say that you analyze the titles and the metadata exactly. of five thousand four hundred videos. Yes. Okay, that's certainly a lot less time than watching five thousand four hundred videos. Yeah, uh, so I was wrong on that one. Okay.
3: I added up all the yeah, time of the videos. It's like two thousand hours so you know, like, even when he was yeah, nominated for a minister, then, like, all the lawmakers should have, should check uh, all the materials. That would have been impossible if he been, had yeah. not deleted it, yeah.
0: Gee. Okay, so tell us from the titles and the metadata, what are some of the favorite topics that he talked about?
3: Yeah, so the interesting thing is, so he, first of all, his, like, university uh, page does not strike you like a North Korea expert. And then the only experience in North Korean uh, things basically he has was, I think, one or a little bit longer under the Imyong bak administration as presidential secretary for unification. Mm-hmm. and Then mostly it's about uh, US policy, like these gro- yeah, like big power competition, these kind of uh, political science issues. Mm-hmm. And that's also yeah, visible in, the, in his uh, YouTube videos. At least if you look at the titles, it's always US policy or US policy towards uh, North Korea. And the actual North Korean things that are only about North Korea is really a smaller part. Of Mm. all these videos. And so you have to imagine he did this for, I think, five years and then like it really uh, grew a lot, but he spent hours every day on these videos. And then to see that North Korea features so little in this and then suddenly he becomes a minister on basically North Korean issues is a little bit surprising.
0: So looking at the metadata and the titles of these 5,400 videos, what do you think could have been predicted about his performance as unification minister or his stance as unification minister before he took up that position?
3: Yeah, so uh, one thing was uh, that he invited Ko Young-Wan uh, his current his uh, special advisor.
0: Right, the former diplomat from North Korea, French-speaking exactly. diplomat. Yeah, yeah.
3: and uh, so he was on the channel like 10 or 15 times, so mm-hmm. he, and he was the only guest that was featured so often, so you already could see uh, they have a special relationship, so it was not surprising that he took him as his uh, special advisor. Mm-hmm. So that was one uh, thing.
0: And as a prominent North Korean defector, one imagines that he probably doesn't have a very positive view of North Korea or relations with North Korea.
3: Yeah, and that's uh, one thing you can see from all those uh, videos. He's not very interested, like the minister is not interested in reconciliation. So mm-hmm. he's, for example, inviting uh, the defector, uh, always trying to talk about speculation series. Did Kim jong Un die? He did that very early, even mm. when the uh, Delhi NK report was not out yet. Mm-hmm. So there, because there were some people who said, okay, if Kim Jong-in is not showing up on the uh, the Kim su mausoleum visit in yeah. April uh, 15 in uh, 2020, then something must have happened, like seriously, he must be seriously ill, or you know like even like uh, all these death conspiracies, and he just jumped on this basically on this issue and made several videos, and then you can see all the time he's more interested in speculation, why is China bad why uh does the U- US have to be harder against uh, those states and everything yeah, but he's not so academic basically in the question uh, what is North Korea, what's going on there mm. that's not on his mind basically.
0: And so he's been Unification Minister now for, what, about six months, I guess? Yeah, about, yeah. So how do you see his uh, his performance as Unification Minister?
3: Yeah, so it's really hard to judge uh, someone after uh, six months, but mm. what we can see is that he's really pushing for focusing on U- North Korean human rights violations, like giving out lots of money to NGOs, to initiatives. Also, he's his campaigning for this North Korean human rights archive, museum, or uh, library. Mm-hmm. Which seems to be yeah like his main agenda point these days, and you also can see this in this uh, media outreach on YouTube. The Unification Ministry is releasing new uh, series where they basically interview North Koreans, and then they only talk about their grievances, their hardships, the human rights violations they had to endure. Mm-hmm. And then you so it's this very narrow focus on human rights violations. Which of course is important, and he also has to oversee the writing of this new human rights report that is supposed to be released every month, so maybe in April or uh, March. Uh, but the problem is, you also have to understand what's going on. So, for example, if they have uh, these new election uh, styles in Austria, then you have to analyze what's going on, where did that come from, where might it lead. But the Ministry of Unification, Ministry of Unification, is really uh, not talking about this a lot. So they gave a press conference where they. I think, uh, pre-prepared a pre-prepared question, and then that was it. They just mm. said, North Korea is not a democracy, let's not talk about anything else. That, that's for me, is a big problem if, uh, because you have to l- look at it in a complex way, not just say human rights violations are the main topic. You have to look at the whole, on the whole spectrum and say, okay, there are lots of human rights violations, how can we get them to yeah, basically violate less human rights? How can we help people that are starving? How can we help people in prison? And there have to be lots of strategies and not just we're going to uh, basically criticize you until you either collapse or back down or basically stop listening in the end.
0: Is that how you would summarize South Korea's current policy on, on unification and inter-Korean relations is simply criticizing North Korea?
3: So maybe I'm missing uh, some important pieces, but that's what I see yeah, mm-hmm. from all the media events, from their conferences. That's the only thing they uh, seem to acknowledge right now.
0: Okay, so having now looked at the unification lines of both Koreas, North and South, I'm going to ask you to uh, speculate a little bit. What, what can we anticipate this year from inter-Korean relations?
3: Yeah, that's another uh, big question. Of course, uh, if we already can see that there are going to be lots of military tensions and maybe uh, that's going to escalate into uh, yeah, real life fire and uh, maybe even people dying on like, these uh, border islands or in other areas. So that's not very, we can't really be optimistic about that, but mm. yeah, so how I tried to explain uh, Kim Jong-un is trying to basically build a new concept of how uh, the both korean states should have relations, and maybe there's going to be something new coming out of this, especially because they're, so Yoon sung yeol is not going to back down from uh, denuclearization, but they also have to establish some kind of contact or at least have some agreement, okay, where can we cooperate and where not? Mm. And that might actually happen yeah, over this year. So maybe that's going to be a more ap- optimistic mm. uh, thing to watch out for.
0: Okay. I mean, you, of course, you've lived here in South Korea for many years. You live here now with a family. You're not planning to leave. So you're not too pessimistic, are you? Yeah,
3: I'm not afraid there's going to be war. I'm not going to afraid they're going to bomb the Songnam Air Base, which mm-hmm. is very close to where I live. So... Uh, that's not on my mind, but so I can see the Yun administration was very, basically very brave for South Korean ton- context to ask for uh, the end of censorship of North Korean media and uh, nothing happened. So to me, that's a very, very disappointing uh, development, especially since they proclaimed it before he got elected, before Yoon got elected, then uh, yeah. tried to work on it and then backed out. And in the end, if North Korean studies gets harder and harder to do here, then uh, yeah. In the end, I have to move somewhere else.
0: But I I have to say that that that's not the first time that a South Korean government has uh, promised that citizens of South Korea would have access to North Korean media. I remember when Kim Dae-jung was president more than 20 years ago, that there was announcement then that people would be able to even receive satellite uh, television from North Korea and look at North Korean media. And that didn't happen then either. And it hasn't happened now, even though, as you said, President Yoon's government announced that it would and it seems that it always comes back to this inertia around the 1949 national security act that uh, forbids any material that uh, that praises the leadership of north korea that, that no government, no president and no national assembly wants to take the political risk and spend the political capital to get rid of that law.
3: Um, so I went to a few uh, meetings where that was referenced, this uh, Kim Dae-jung initiative to allow satellite, mm. basically uh, receivers for North Korean television. Yes. And maybe, maybe I got the uh, details wrong, but they said it's legal. It just, it requires a very expensive satellite dish, so I'm not sure about uh, how NK News is doing it, but you didn't have to apply for an exception, so I assume it's okay. Of course, the problem is the security organs going to monitor you, maybe, mm. especially if you're a progressive activist, they're going to blame you for basically facilitating North Korean propaganda, but I, as far as I understand, it is legal to watch satellite television, which you also can do mostly on YouTube, but yeah.
0: Okay, so that one only, all right, but not, not the other... Uh, yeah, yeah, but you
3: can't, so all websites basically are blocked, you can't, or you, you might share... North Korean newspapers with your friends but yeah. in the end they can charge you for right. uh, Spreading doing North something Korea criminal yeah.
0: Yeah. so to, to come back to uh, what I was asking earlier so if you do end up leaving Korea it's not because you're afraid of war but because it's hard to do North Korean studies from in South Korea uh, yes yeah okay alright well thank you very much Martin Weiser for coming on the NK News podcast today people can keep up with your most recent work at NK News and NK Pro and they can follow you on Twitter at NK Researcher thank you very much Thank you. Dive deep into the heart of South Korea's most pressing stories with the weekly Korea Pro podcast. Hosted by Jongmin Kim and John Lee, this weekly 15-minute podcast is your source for thorough analysis on all things ROK. From intricate politics to dynamic cultural shifts, we cover it all. Tune in every Friday on careerpro.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Career Pro podcast, insight, not just information. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode for today. Our thanks go to Brian Betts and Alana Hill for facilitating this episode. And to our post-recording producer genius Gabby Magnuson who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions and fixes the audio levels. Thank you and listen again next time.